Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Game of Thrones podcast. I am your host, Carmine of Red Team Review, and I'm joined here once again by the one Preston not asking me to go help out other settlements, Preston Jacobs. Preston. Oh, but, but I have a mission for you. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. Uh, well, guys, welcome back to the Game of Thrones podcast, and yes, we are, we are back to doing full-blown episodes um, we will still do minis every now and then, but for Fire and Blood, we will be doing actual long episodes again for the Fire and Blood book and chapters. As always, we are available on SoundCloud and iTunes, so consider checking us out on those platforms. And if you do check us out on iTunes, then please leave us a review. It would help out a lot. Also, be sure to leave your thoughts down below in the comments section, and I might get to them and reply to you, or we'll even cover them in the next episode. Also, Preston, before we start, let me ask you a question. Huh. What is What is the second highest position in Westeros um besides doggy style um the 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 second highest position I mean I guess you'd say hand of the king that is correct you are absolutely 100% correct so the hand of the king is the second highest position in all of Westeros but now you can stand next to me and Preston and take your spot as the third douchiest person in all of the realm with the hand of the douchebag t-shirt if you'd like to support the Thrones podcast in style, then be sure to get yours because these will be available for a very limited time and only very few will be made, so definitely get them while they last. And for those of you wondering, yes, that is our official podcast logo in case you haven't seen it before. Head on over to teespring.com slash GOT podcast or follow the link in the description below. Okay, so Preston, let's get to it. Fire and Blood. I, I did a first impressions video already and, and quickly gave my thoughts on it. But since we're going to go over chapter one and two, uh, we'll be covering this extensively. But real quick, chapter one was just, it's just rehashed World of Ice and Fire material. And uh, <laughs> what are you laughing at? I'm laughing at Fire and Blood, like its existence in the first place. <laughs> uh, I, I was going to ask you, give me your first impressions of it, but uh, I feel like that was it. Okay, but what, what do you what do you want to do here? Because are we, are we going to do chapter one and then two, or or? And also, I need you to summarize like what we can expect from this. I I, I guess chapter one. I guess Aegon's conquest. So uh, essentially, fire and blood. You know, it's it's a slog. It's 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 a it's not a fun read. Um. Let's let's you know cut the crap, and I figured that it would be more fun if like Carmine and I went through it, uh, uh um, you know to it'd be more interesting and and point out the the different things that we saw that we thought were interesting and 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 weird, um, as we go and uh you know if this goes well maybe we'll finish the whole thing but uh we'll we'll start out by just doing the the first chapter. Uh, Aegon's Conquest, which appeared in The World of Ice and Fire and has been reprinted here, but, you know, it, it was first, so we should, you know, start with it. Well, yeah, I mean, we're going to go into Chapter 1, but honestly, I, I think you have mo way more to say about Chapter 1 than I do, because um, it was it was just, once again, like you said, it's just a reprint of uh, The World of Ice and Fire, but can we expect a lot of stuff like that in this book to be, like, reprints of other things? Was, was this a waste of time? Like, what do you make of it? No, I mean, like, we knew what was coming. We knew that it was it was pieced together of stuff that he already released. Um we knew that it, for the most part, is this horrible um, George Lucas rhyming 
stuff. You know what I'm George talking Lucas about? Rhyming. What, what do you mean? Well, you know how George Lucas is like, oh no, like, um, uh, Anakin Skywalker's hand has to get cut off just like Luke's hand got cut off because it all rhymes. Like this is the word he used. It's like poetry. Mm. Right. So mm. like, <laughs> so like fire and blood and all this history has a lot of this, uh, rhyming stuff, you know, like, oh, you know, Lamy Lannister, uh, attended the blue wedding and he got his foot cut off, you know, it's so like a lot of that, you know, you're like, oh God, <laughs> like, I uh, did notice that with, uh, your favorite house, house Aaron, how when we start a game of Thrones, the Lord of house Aaron is a little boy and then when Aegon's conquest begins, it's um, Ronald, Ronald, yeah, Ronald, yeah, Ronald Aaron. So and, and he's got his mom, who was a real beauty in the day, but she's kind of mm-hmm. faded. And at the end, like he's won over because he gets to fly. You know, yeah, yeah. That's it's like poetry. I, I it rhymes. <laughs> so your first impressions are essentially this is kind of an unnecessary book. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it's. It, it's it's somewhat enjoyable for for big fans who want to mine it uh, for hints on what will happen in the winds of winter and a dream of spring a dream of spring. But we wouldn't have to do that if those books were out. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like it's enjoyable for us to be like, what's gonna happen? Ah, let's mine this and and, and try to figure out like the answers. Not only um, mine it, but uh, make clickbaity videos with rare, red arrows and circles. Yes, yeah, circle, red arrow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, so there's that. But it's not it's not written. It's not written in any sort of exciting prose. It's it's um, there's more. When I read it, there's more mysteries than than answers. Like it, it, How it so? Brings, well, I mean, we can get into it. It's it's as I go along. Like as I go along, there are certain things that are really interesting, um, and then there are other things where I'm like, "Wait, what? This doesn't make sense. Why? Why would that happen? Where? Where's the answer to that?" And we know that it's never going to come because the books that are going to come out eventually, "The Winds of Winter" and "A Dream of Spring," don't deal with this time period. And he's not going to release another history book on. Well, um, before before we get into that, let me just yeah. say, um, in in my first impressions video, I pretty much said how this book is kind of like, remember in the old um, Star Wars now called Legends uh, time set timepiece, um, you remember how like every other random character background character in in the <laughs> universe had like their own book and their right. own adventure, right. and, like the, the 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 example I use is the um, the bounty hunter meeting with Vader in Empire Strikes Back. Like, yeah. besides Boba Fett, you don't give a fuck who robot guy, bug guy, and lizard guy are, but all of them have their own books and their own stories. And the reason for that is, besides you know making money, is the next time you watch Empire Strikes Back, you can say, "Oh, that's Dengar, and he invited Boba Fett to his wedding after he saved Boba Fett from the Sarlacc pit." Or that's IG-88, and he tried to start a robot rebellion. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is what this book is. It's for whenever you rewatch a Game of Thrones, uh, the, the, the show, or reread the seasons, and Robert mentions um, Baylor, or or uh, Ned and Pycelle are discussing uh, Makor. Um, you know who those kings are. You know who those characters are. It's supposed to fluff and flesh out the world. Yeah. 
I mean, I won't think I won't say it's as bad as like the the tales from the bounty hunter and the tales from Moss Eisley Cantina, where every fucking background character has the most interesting <laughs> story. That's all heading into like this one. You know, there's so much going on in that bar. You just didn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it turns out Luke looking for a ride to 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 Alderaan is was actually like the most boring thing going on in that bar, but. <laughs> It's funny too because they did that with Mas Kanata's ca- uh, Mas Kanata's castle. They they did the same shit with that. So, but no, I I I found it funny that you said only hardcore people would be into this because it was during season uh, or season seven podcast reviews. You said I think it was one of your family members. Even they who were a casual fan were questioning like how could Danny or ride that far up north or like how could Gendry like run that fast back to the wall. Oh yeah. Yeah, and you were saying how one of your family members was a casual. Like they're not. Well, I mean, my not... mom. My mom right. is. Right. You know, she's a she's a you know seventy she's a seventy one year old woman, and she watches something and goes, "What?" Like if she, even she is like, "That's ridiculous." Like, well, like if even, even she though is... your mom, well, even though your mom watches the show, and I'm sure she likes it, she's not gonna be picking this up. This is not for someone who's a casual fan or even a step up above. No, that. this 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 would be gibberish for, to 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 my mother. Yeah, this yeah. is. This is this is hardcore stuff. And this is for people who go to Con of Thrones and like a Daenerys outfit and have a somehow yeah. a, a lock yeah. of Kit Harrington's hair in a jar. Like these are for right. like hardcore. This fans. is this these are these are for losers like you and me. This is <laughs> <laughs> oh, blooded. All right, so um, let's get let's get into this. Like, well, <laughs> before before uh, we get into Aegon's conquest, I the New York Times had a review of of Fire and Blood where the guy said. Essentially, it is it is all one long synopsis for about 50 books that he will never get around to writing, which itself has only been written because he can't get around to writing the other two Game of Thrones books that his fans are waiting for. We're still, after a doorstop of a thing, we're still a century and a half short of Game of Thrones even beginning, which means there's another volume of this interminable self-indulgent, self-indulgent crap to come. It, it it's pretty harsh. I I wouldn't it's, say, <laughs> but not but not inaccurate though. I mean, I, I as much as I love George, he's got a point. The one thing I was really appalled at is I thought there was this is going to be a complete Targaryen history book, but it's not. It's actually stopped short of where we're supposed to be at. Yeah, yeah. It's there's going to be a it. volume two. Are you crazy? I thought this this is like the definitive one, but no, there's a volume two. Volume two is the stuff that, you know, we don't know about, like Summerhall and stuff. So this this I mean, most of these stories had already come out and they were not as interesting time periods that, you know, we don't necessarily really. No one was no one was, you know, bashing down George's door saying we need more about uh, Magor the Cruel and his fight against like the faith militant. Like no one was doing that. They were asking, people were asking about Summerhall. What the hell's happened at Summerhall? But, you know, tell me about, uh, uh, more about um, Bloodraven. For those of you who are uninitiated, Summerhall, that's the event where I believe um, uh, the Duncan Egg story ultimately ends with those two characters dying at that incident, trying to yes. revive dragons, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Egg on the fifth death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you market. said earlier there were inconsistencies here. Now that's that's the one thing I'm actually really curious about. Inconsistencies. What, keep... Well, well, I mean, well, we 
Well, let's start. Let's let let's start because um, we 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 may have a lot to get through. I know you're like, oh, do we have enough to talk about? I've got so much to talk about <laughs> in, in this Aegon's conquest. So go ahead. <clears throat> all right. So we start out. This is like page eight. Uh, the very beginning of our story goes into this long page long uh, discussion about dating and how everything about calendars is is off and inaccurate. Um, <clears throat> Because the dating talks about things like 100 years after Aegon's conquest or 300 years after Aegon's conquest or Aegon's landing, they say. And, he, you know, the, the maester starts out for a page saying, actually, that's really hard to determine when he landed because, you know, that's the, really the date of his coronation and the war. We aren't sure really where the war began or where the war ended because he was fighting Dorne after that. Um and of course, this parallels um, the real world and real calendars because you know Jesus was supposedly born actually not at not at one or or negative one BC, but at negative four B you know at four BC, um, and so all of our calendars are off a little bit, um, which means all of that like prophecy stuff where people were talking about Armageddon coming in the year 2000 and and they did this at the year 1000 as well like was all ridiculous because it should have happened in 1996 or whatever um so all this numerology stuff is off and this this goes with all of the calendars the Islamic calendars with the constitution of Medina and the Hebrew calendar with the supposed creation day but actually creation happens a year later because the first year is nullified with the constitution of Medina like so much stuff that Muhammad was doing happened before the constitution of Medina like why that date is chosen at the beginning is <clears throat> kind of random but in a game of thrones you have um, and it, it starts in a clash of kings. You had the religious zealots showing up because it was almost 300 years since Aegon's landing. And then it turns out, well, actually, that date is, is a whole bunch of bullshit. Like there's no there's no numerology stuff. That's it's all it's all nothing, um, which which is probably like there's another thing where John is the 998th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And everyone's like, well, who's going to be the 1000th? Oh, my God, it's going to be something big. No, this numerology stuff is nothing. Like, it's nothing to it. We don't even know how many Lord Commanders there's been. Um, you know, Sam and Sam already claims that the that the that the that the uh, the files don't go back that far. So no one really knows how many Lord Commanders there's been. Nobody knows really when Aegon landed. All of this stuff is is silly to even think about these these dates and everything. And that's an interesting start to things because we're talking about <clears throat> a story about dragons and perhaps magic. And you have this like page long introduction of a very scientific or historic, his, you know, logical, historical kind of like look at dating and saying, well, you know, we've got to be careful here. We've got to, we've got to be, you know, we've got to have a certain eye for things. And so that, that's the other thing is to, the intro is kind of a is kind of saying let's look back on history with with a critical eye um because even though these are fantastical events let's be critical here okay um we need to be we need to examine it like a historian would would examine it we're not sure what truth is going to be here um that's such a cop out though like why can't you just 
tell us what actually happens. He, <laughs> he, he, he just he really just wants to like. By the way, did you notice how uh, one of the cover arts is uh, George as a maester? Did you, did you notice that? Oh really? Um, you, you didn't see that part? It's like one of the first few pages. <laughs> oh, are you talking about the, the picture of Gildane? Is that Gildane? Yeah, he doesn't have a beard, but yeah, it's Gildane. It looks like George R. R. Martin to me. Like, are you serious? Well, uh, yeah, the, like on, on page on page two, page three of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Maester. That's Maester Gildane. It looks like George R. R. Martin to me. <laughs> I thought that was like a little parody or something they were doing. But no, why can't he just what? Why this introduction page? Like, what's the purpose of it? Well, I mean, this is the whole thing about real history. Real history, you have to take everything with a grain of salt because you've got biased perspectives. And even even, even in Ice and Fire, you're talking biased perspectives. Like, each guy has a point of view chapter. And just because somebody says something, even in their point of view chapter, doesn't mean it happens. Like, Sansa believes that the Hound kissed her. He didn't kiss her. And... That's 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 a discrepancy. Um, um, Ario Hota believes that that Balon Swan didn't eat uh, the stew, and then earlier in the chapter he says he ate the stew. So you have contradictions, and you, and, you, and you have to like be careful. Just because something is written down doesn't mean it doesn't mean it happened. Um, and you and you have to kind of analyze it and say like, well, what really happened? Because we're talking, everything is through the eyes of Maester Gildane, who's looking at other sources who are, who are writing things down through their eyes. So we don't really, like, everything is written like real history. We're, we're supposed to make the parallel to, to the real world. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. I just, I just kind of wish that instead of, you know, being Maester Gildane, he just wrote it himself and just had a definitive version of what happened, you know? Yeah, there will never be, I guess, a, a definitive version because, yeah... I mean, but I I did notice what you're talking about though because at one point it's like oh Aegon never set foot in Westeros but there are some accounts that says he did go to Lannisport at one time so yeah, eh. yeah. go ahead continue and so I mean that's the funny thing is like right from the beginning we're supposed to say okay let's let's look at everything with a logical critical eye but then there's all these people that are like it's a magic book there's magic and prophecy and it's like well. So you've got these two ideas hitting hitting heads with each other. Um, should we look at things critically, or you know, realistically, um, scientifically, or should we just assume everything's magic and that these fantastical things happened? You know, um, which which kind of gets into our next thing. So after after going on the big thing about the dates, he starts talking about the Doom of Valeria and like the old Targaryen families. Um, of the old Valyrian families. So, um, <clears throat> so before Valyria fell, there were about forty different dragonlord houses. The Targaryens were the most dominant. Um, supposedly, there was this <clears throat> Daenys the Dreamer, where um, who who said, "Oh, that there's there's signs and portents that that there's going to be a, a, a fall." And so her dad packs up and moves to Dragonstone about twelve years before the before the Doom of Valyria. And then for some reason, nearly all of the other dragon lords, there's there's one or two that weren't there, but all the other dragon lords are there, and then the Doom of Valeria happens and they all die. Um which is kind of now you could say, oh, was it was it prophecy? Um, you know, 
was that the truth? Or when you're talking about all, for some reason, all of the dragon lords were in one place. They had a huge empire, but nearly all of them were in one place and they all died, which is very reminiscent of like the Red Wedding and Summer Hall and Ares's wildfire stash or, and maybe like the shield hall or in the, in the show, the Kal's tent and in the show, the Sept of Baylor. Like if you get all of your enemies together and then you, you kill them, like you can, you can um, take advantage of that situation. So you're Which, thinking that maybe the, uh, the eruption of the, the, the 12 fires was planned. Yeah. That's what Ooh. I'm saying. Mm, that's um, interesting. I mean, some people think that the faceless men did it. Yeah, that's a big um, theory. <clears throat> but if they did do it, they would have to, you know, it would have had to be a 12-year plan in the making or whatever. Um, and that the Targaryens somehow knew about it. Or, I don't know, maybe time-traveling Bran or somebody sent a message to them. Who knows? But Time-traveling Bran. <laughs> right. I mean, anytime there's this prophecy going on, I'm like, is it really prophecy or is it like time-traveling Bran mm. or, or somebody, you know? Um, but, uh, but the, the, the doom of Valyria is very reminiscent of one of these collective take all, all, take out all of your enemies at once thing that's, that's littered throughout ice and fire. Like there's a whole bunch of these things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So it's my idea when I, when I, when I thought about that is I just, I just immediately thought of the red wedding when I, when I thought of the doom of Valyria. So, so the, the Targaryens, they, um, they take, you know, they're the, they're basically the only surviving dragon lords. There's a couple others who, who eventually died too, but, um, the Targaryens move in on, on Dragonstone and it's supposedly chosen because it's a great trade location. Mm -hmm. Um, an island at the mouth of the river, <clears throat> islands at the mouths of rivers is, is like a big common thing in, in Westeros. You have Battle Island down in Old Town, you have the Shield Islands. On the Mander, you have the sisters um, outside the White Knife. Um, he always places an island at the, at the mouth of these rivers. I, I'm imagining that he's doing it because of New York City being like mm. a, a... Yeah, that would make you know, sense. You know, and that's where he grew up, so... He grew up in Jersey. Um, and then like the text says that the Targaryens dominated with ships and ruling the skies, but... This is where I, I, I get really, like, the text doesn't really make sense. Like, who are they dominating? The local lords around uh, around the surrounding areas. Like, um, oh, fuck, the uh, Celtigars, I believe it's called? Right. I mean, they're married to the Valarians, and the Celtigars are there, but those those are kind of, like, minor houses. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you know, it, there's another thing, too. Like, uh, they talk about how while they're, so while they're on... Dragonstone, Maester Gildane says that they looked east instead of west into Westeros, but we don't hear anything about them doing anything in Essos either. So after after the fall of Illyria, a, a, a few big things happen. So like you like Essos falls apart, and the and Volantis tries to take control of the free cities, <clears throat> and the free cities rebel against Volantis, and the the Dothraki rise up. And meanwhile, in Westeros, um, around this time, the the Ironborn are beginning to take over all of the Seven Kingdoms. Right. So there's a lot of shit going on. It says that they looked east, but we have no account of them doing anything in the east. 
It's weird because when they when they first arrived on Dragonstone, they came with five dragons, and by the time yeah. of Aegon's conquest, what they had one, two left. Yeah, they they four of them die, and then they hatch two more. Mm-hmm. Um, so so for all that time, for like what uh, two centuries or something like that, they they stay on Dragonstone doing nothing, just building close alliances with the neighboring uh, neighboring lords. Yeah, yeah, or 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 something. They don't seem to do anything. About a hundred years. They say that they moved there in, a, in 114 before conquest, and they don't do anything uh, until until Aegon starts scheming. So for all you know, more than 100 years, they just do nothing. They 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 even though it says they looked east, we have no account of them doing anything in the east. They don't do anything. In, they don't do anything in Westeros. They just sit there and until it, one day Aegon's like. Let's let's take it right, and this is where I say the text doesn't really make sense. It says that they dominated, but they're not dominating anything. They're they're just doing some trade. Maybe they're dominating trade, but they're just doing some trade. Um, I actually think like if you're if you're trying to find some sort of logical explanation on on what's going on, like the Stormlanders like start start going into decline around this time, and so it might be because the Targaryens started dominating trade. And we're stealing trade from the Stormlanders because, you know, the Ironborn start taking all of the Stormlanders land. They're just in a they're just in decline. And it might the, you know, the, the Targaryens might have unintentionally like added to that by <clears throat> taking over Dragonstone. But and it almost seems um, like Argilac. That's his name, right? Argilac. I'm saying yeah. that right. Yeah. It almost seems like Argilac actually started the conquest with, with the way it's written because he, he tries to make a pact with the Targaryens by saying, I'll give you my daughter and I'll give you these lands if you help me take care of Heron the Black. And and Aegon's like, no, how about this, this, and this instead? And he's like, oh, that's insulting. Fuck you. And he sends the uh, the messenger's hands in a box and Aegon's like, fuck it. I'll take it all. Yeah, I mean, how he treats the Stormlanders is, is, real, is a real mystery. Like, Aegon is real um, inconsistent with how he treats each of the lords. Um, but yeah, so on this move, on the century, it, it actually, I'm actually frustrated with how little they talk about the century of, of leading up to the war. Why is Gaemon Targaryen the Glorious? Why is he called the Glorious? There's no answer. What were they doing for this hundred years? There's no answer, and we're never going to get an answer. Because there's never going to be any more written about this, but for some reason they sat on Dragonstone for a hundred years. So Aegon comes 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 along and he marries both sisters, which they say is unusual that the target that actually Valerians weren't polygamous, um, but he decided to be polygamous. Uh, and then later a million people offer their wives or, or women to him for additional wives, and he and he refuses, including. Including, you know, the Durandon. Um, and there's no explanation to that. So why did he break tradition to marry two two women, but refuse to go further than that? Um, I mean, a lot of people talk about how uh, Muhammad's conquest, you know, he had to he had to marry eight women, not because he wanted to marry eight women. Um, he married eight women because he just he kept conquering and people were like, oh, marry my daughter. Ah, fine. I've got to fucking marry another person's daughter for an alliance. Um, this is a pretty common thing, um, and in 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 Islam, he broke the rules because um, in Islam you can't have more than four wives, but 
Muhammad had eight, but they said, oh, well, you know, the prophet has an exception. Well, he was the exception because he needed to have all these alliances for, for conquest. Um, Aegon didn't do that. He could have easily. He already broke tradition by having two. He decided not to have any more than two for no reason. Um, some people think it's because of prophecy, like he was trying to do the three heads of the dragon thing. And the dragon doesn't have four heads, it's got three. I think so. he was trying to keep to tradition, but also trying to keep to his heart at the same time. Because in the in the in the book, it says how uh, even though Visenya was the elder sister, he stayed with like for every one night he stayed with her, he stayed with uh, Rainey's because he liked Rainey's better. He liked her mm. attitude more. Yeah, they said tradition. He should have married the elder, and then he liked you know Rainey's. That, so, that's the that's the explanation given by Gildane. So essentially, he wanted to stay to tradition, but at the, at the same time, follow his heart, I guess you could call it. So, Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's Gildane's explanation. Um, I I guess I'm, I'm leaning towards the three heads of the dragon thing. Mm-hmm. Um, More symbolic. Yeah, I, I can't think of, or, or just he wanted, or pr- there's prophecy, or look, Visenya's got a dragon, Rhaenys has a dragon, he's got a dragon. They're the most important people in the world. <clears throat> Who gives a shit about anybody else? Right. Um, you know, I, I can't marry one because there might be a division. That means somebody else could, like, let's say he, he married Visenya, not Rhaenys. That means Rhaenys could marry somebody else and then somebody else would have a dragon and then you wouldn't have consolidated dragons. Mm, that makes more sense. You know, um, and so he kept, he kept it consolidated uh, by marrying, by having all the dragon riders be married together. Mm-hmm. That's a smart move. I mean, so the, we do have lot. We do have some logical reasons. We don't need prophecy, but you know, prophecy might explain it. All right. So we get to uh, we get to the build up of the war. Um. So Aegon is going around. Um. Westeros scheming. He goes to Lannisport. He goes to Old Town. He talks to the Red Wines. But he never goes to Harrenhal. Um. I went through this chapter a bunch. And he, he has diplomatic relations with every single house, major house. But you never he never does anything with, with uh, Hair on the Black. Like, he never says, hey, Hair on the Black, let's, let's have a treaty. Probably because Hair on the Black was such a piece of shit. Well, this is the question. Is this like, why did the Targaryens not invade earlier? You know? And... What was Hair in the Black doing? Um, I mean, Hair in the Black is in some some suspicious places. Like he's on the God's eye. Like right across from there is you know the Green Men and the, and that circle of werewoods and all the magical stuff that supposedly happens on the God's eye. And then his brother is Lord Commander of of the Night's Watch, and he's at the Wall. And so you've got you've kind of got these two things like going on. And so there's this question of whether or not um, Aegon, the whole reason that he invaded was because of of hair in the black, something that hair in the black was doing. You, that's the that's your theory there, because Heron Her- uh, got a little too a uh, little too a little too close to something. Yeah, I mean, that's something. I mean, is is it something magical? I don't know, like something something 
prophecy-wise? I, I don't know, but it's it's awfully suspicious. Like you go through it all. Like so, Aegon, you were talking. I, I like you're focused on the Stormlanders because I know the Stormlands is your favorite your favorite area. <laughs> Not of, just of, them. Is I, I also really really like the whole uh, House Aaron thing, and I like how he like kind of split his forces. He let his sister go with uh, Oris Baratheon and the other sister off to. Uh, take down the the errands but it seems to me like because uh, and i think this uh this is mentioned in the argalac uh portion of it that uh heron the black was known throughout the entire continent as just a cruel cruel person so i doubt i doubt aegon would have wasted his time trying to treat with this guy because he knew he'd probably get nowhere i don't know but i mean he treated with everybody else mm-hmm. i mean I mean, granted, he, he was supposedly working everyone to death in order to build Hall, but Hall was almost done. So mm. what happens when Hall is done? So like, so you're, you're thinking that the reason he built Hall is to reinforce the position of that area because he found something magical on the Isle of Faces, maybe? Yeah, I mean, maybe he was planning on taking the Isle of Faces and he really wanted like a good base right there. I mean, Harrenhal is, is is in a very strategic location. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it's it's by being on the god by being on the god's eye and the trident, like waterway waterways, you have like domination of 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 the whole continent. Like, it's and everything has to go through there. Um, like, it's not like it's not strategic, but still, why does why did the Targaryens who chilled on an island doing nothing for a hundred years? suddenly want to take down Heron the Black. Like, what was he doing that was so bad compared to anybody else? Oh. I mean, to be fair, Aegon did give him a chance to uh, back down, but uh, he said, nope. And and well, I, I, I do yeah, like... yeah, at the very end, yeah. Yeah, I, and I do like how, like, um, <laughs> for the Heron the Black stuff, I do like how it almost... Because even Argilac says that once Heron Hall was finished, uh, Aaron the Black was gonna, you know, uh, stretch out his uh, his his kingdom, you know, outward more towards every location. Heron Hall is just essentially a base for that. Heron Hall is, is just basically the center of his kingdom, and he I, I'm assuming he planned to take the entire the entire continent. And Heron's ambitions were too great. Uh, it might that's that's what I understood from it. That's why sure. Aegon probably couldn't let him, you know, stay. But what? But again, like why would why would they care? I mean, like, like, look, the on, on Essos, the, the Volantis was conquering the entire continent, and they didn't care about that. I mean, like, who cares? Who cares if if Her- if Heron the Black has taken everybody? I mean, unless his friendship with Oris Baratheon like somehow convinced him that he needed to do something, but I don't know. Um. That is weird. What the fuck? Why isn't that... Why don't they really go... Why doesn't George really go into... Why, or Gildane. Why doesn't Gildane really go into this? What the fuck? Right. It's it's the main... It's the main conflict. Like, he spends all of this time talking about him treating with all these other people and how Heron the Black was, was so hated, but doesn't really go into why. Um, you know, so you've got this, like, build-up, right? So he starts out with trying to treat with, with House Durandon, and Durand Durandon is desperate. He he offers him essentially the crownlands, and in exchange, he wants Aegon to marry his daughter. And Aegon's like, "No, but if you, I'll do it if you mar- if you 
marry your daughter to my buddy, Oris Baratheon. And who was like baseborn half brother. I mean, him being like a baseborn half brother Baratheon is clearly like a, a reference to Joffrey or Tommen being a bastard Baratheon or, or Gendry, you know, it's poetry. It rhymes. Um, <laughs> but it also kind of points to like the Targaryens have been undermining the Durandans for a while. Like if they were on the mouth of the Blackwater dominating trade, they've been fucking with the Stormlanders for generations. And now they want essentially Oris Baratheon to, to take over the house because he's like, Oh, Mary, Mary Oris to your daughter. Essentially when the daughter takes over, Oris is going to become the Lord. So like he's, you know, they've been wanting to fuck over the Stormlanders from the beginning. Um, and so he's not very good to, to Aralak or Aralak Durandon. Doesn't really give him much of, not much of a shot. And he immediately takes the Riverlands. They head north. They take uh, Salt Pans, Rosby, Duskendale. And I love how Duskendale, also again, once again, poetry rhyming. Uh, as we see with uh, the Mad King, Duskendale puts up uh, a defiance, if you will. And yes. uh, they also do the same here with Aegon. <laughs> yes. And then the, uh, he releases his banner, which is a three-headed dragon banner for the first time. So and then, and then all maybe... the other Westerosi accept him as one of their own. Yeah. Um, he'd already converted to the, to the Faith of the Seven, but I think he... I think he did that. Maybe it was to to pull in these these first lords like Bar Emin and stuff. But um, I think it's later on, like when when Old Town folds super easy. I think it's because the old like he had already had Old Town in his pocket. Um, right. Would would be my guess because he he had already been treating there. He'd already been visiting there, and then he declares himself a member of the faith of the seven for no reason. Everybody's like, huh, he wasn't religious before. And then when he finally, at the end of the war, when he finally makes it to old town, they're just like, Oh, yay. By the way, we didn't actually send any troops into war, even though house Gardner sent all their troops into war. So that was lucky. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the height, the high towers knew. but um, yeah, they, he, he invades North. He takes uh, um, Visenia heads North. Uh, Rhaenys heads south, and he heads towards the God's Eye. He goes to Heron the Black. He says, you can go back to the Iron Islands. And Heron, Heron the Black is like, no. And so he, he kills him, and he melts Heron Hall. Is there more detail here than there is in the world of Ice and Fire? Or is it essentially a copy and paste? I thought it was a copy and paste. There, there might be some more. I have to compare it word for word. The beginning is, but I think this conquest of of Heron might be expanded a little because mm -hmm. there's a, there's a lot more text. I think I'll have to open up. I mean, if 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 you give me a second, I can grab my. No, no, my it's copy. fine. <laughs> I, I mean, it's up to you. It's fine, but like, I feel like the 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 conquest was expanded more upon um, the whole um, the whole uh, House Aaron thing. How. Uh, uh, was it Shara Aaron? How she yeah. uh, she was known as the flower of the mountain, and then she sent a portrait of herself to Aegon from like ten yeah. years ago, and he was like, mm, "I'm alright." And uh, what else? I bet she, I bet she was cute. They say she was good looking. I, I, I believe I believe them. <laughs> it's supposed to be like Lysa Aaron, you know, like when no, she no, was young. Course. When she was young, everybody liked Lysa Aaron. I mean, even Jamie was like, "Yeah, Lysa Aaron wasn't bad." 
And then, you know, later on, she's still used to using her, her feminine charms, but, you know, um, everybody really just wants the power. But, but like I said, but, I really like the whole Aegon's Conquest. Because like I, I do feel like they'd go into a bit more detail than in uh, the world of Ice and Fire. But not you're right, not that much. You know, the whole uh, subduing House Aaron thing with Ronald taking a, a, a flight around the fucking mountain or whatever. That, I, I remember seeing that before. But uh, there is, like, you know, the detail of how um, there's, like, a little fleet battle and uh, the Valyrian guy, um, v- Valerion... Is that, is that, yeah, that, 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 like he dies. Yeah, Damon, and, Damon Valarian. Yeah, and House Aaron puts up quite a bit of a fight until uh, I believe it's Visenya comes down with her dragon and, and takes care of the whole thing. Um, the whole uh, situation on the field of fire. It's, it's there's a bit more expanded upon. I don't remember seeing that um, one of the sisters uh, took an arrow to the the shoulder. Yeah, so I think there might be. Uh, um, do they do they brush over like Rainy's dying? But but uh, before we get to that, like there is a whole bunch of like parallel stuff, parallel structure going on. So obviously, like Lysa, uh, Lysa and Sweet Robin are are Shara and and Ronald, and then Rainey's her taking of the Stormlands is very reminiscent of of a lot of the fights that we see at Storm's End, like um, needing to be needing to fight in the field, which was something that that Renly insisted on doing, which is what uh, Aralak does. Um, there's, uh, their, their eventual fight in, in, uh, on one-on-one combat, which is, yeah. uh, something that, um, uh, the Castellan of a Storm's End wanted to do with Stan, Stannis, yeah. and then Stan Courtney declined. Penrose wanted to do, and then, and Penrose. then the daughter, the daughter, they all betray the daughter and hand her over, which is, which is what they, which, what maybe happened to Courtney Penrose. Like, it's a mystery of whether or not Courtney Penrose was killed by a shadow baby or if his own men betrayed him, but, uh, essentially, you know, we have that happening again, but this time they they hand over the daughter to Oris Baratheon and he marries her. So you've got, yeah, all of those things happening kind of again. Um, oh, yeah, the flames from her dragon caused all of their horses to panic. Um, when John Con is going, when John Con is now going to go fight at the at Storm's End, he's going to have a bunch of elephants. And those, I wonder if the elephants are going to cause all of the Tyrell soldiers' horses to panic and, and that he's going to win the same way. But instead of a dragon causing them to panic, elephants. Um, but yeah, it's all the same. And then, so that that takes care of the Riverlands, the, the Vale and the Stormlands. And then they have the Field of Fire, which deals with the Lannisters and the, and the, and the Gardeners. Um, which... It's strange because he treated with both of them, and I guess they didn't go very well because he goes and he fries all of their people. Um, the Tyrells give up the, the castle because the Tyrell is the steward, and so the Tyrells become the new lords of the Reach. A Torrin Stark comes down and kneels. Hot-headed, hot-headed Brandon Snow, which is probably a reference to hot-headed Brandon Stark. Everybody with the name Brandon is hot-headed, I guess. <laughs> but I do like how uh, Torrin Stark kind of reminded me of Ned Stark's like cool-headedness. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, it's it's completely supposed to be Ned and Brandon, mm-hmm. but instead it's Torrin and Brandon. How, how the Northmen, <laughs> how the Northmen says they would win, you know, with the uh, Northern uh, uh, what was it, vigor, the Northern um, resilience. I forgot I forgot the term they used, but that reminded me a bit of. Uh, 
uh, Lord Umber wanted to charge in there. Oh, yeah. All up. <laughs> but idiots. yeah, so we, we have a few parallels here and there. But ultimately, I think you were right. I, I feel like a good chunk of this is just copy and pasted. Um, question is, it, it we haven't gotten through the rest of the book, of course, but is that really... Do you, do you think this is a cop-out for, for money? Or do you think this is just something he wanted to put down in one definitive house history book? I mean, he wanted to do all of it, but yeah, it's 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 to throw a bone to his to his publisher. I mean, who he's which he had he hasn't given them the book that they wanted all of these years, and he feels bad, mm-hmm. and so he's going to give them this. I mean, he did want to do it, but he didn't want it. He clearly he'd said many times that he wanted to do it afterwards, not before, and so this is clearly just it's supposed to be the, uh, to the what's what's the joke this uh, the George Marillion. Yeah, yeah, he he wanted he wanted something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the um, the last parallel because we we talked about all the kingdoms, but the last parallel is the uh, with Dorne. So in Dorne, there's a princess of Dorne who rules, and she's the toad of Dorne, and she's like fat and and can't go anywhere and balding and blind and balding and bl- yeah. And this is clearly supposed to be a parallel to not only like. Quentin, who who's looks like Doran, who's called Frog, but Doran himself, who is like, you know, also can't move because he's got the, he's got the, um, the, the, the f- how am the I gout? forgetting the the, the gout? <laughs> yes. Um, but what's funny is that, and this is the big thing on why I don't think Doran's Quentin marriage pact makes any sense, is that Doran is so resistant to the dragon lords like so resistant like no we're not we're not going to submit to you guys which doran should be in the same mindset cuz we know that oberon had that mindset like we know he talked about doran's resistance being a great thing and we know that they passed by like that both of them had traveled and passed by croyane and they saw what the dragon lords did to the Ro- the roinar and we know that rhaegar essentially abandoned uh, their, uh, their sister Elia. So there's there's like no reason that that the Dornish should be forgiving the Targaryens on on so many levels, and yet there's this Quentin marriage pact thing, which which I don't think makes any sense. Which is why I believe that there's a a deeper Dornish master plan. You know, mm, so, a deeper Dorn going on here. A deeper Dorn, the Roynish, the Roynish, Roynish restoration. Yes. That's what I think is going on. Oh, okay, just trying oh, to put that yeah. in there. That's clever, though. Yeah, that that does make sense. And then, and then with the with the final with the final taking of Old Town, that's very similar to King's Landing, where the gates were opened for them. Um, the the High Septon being locked away is very similar to Leighton Hightower, who's certain who's locked away, waiting for visions. And here he receives a vision saying that they need to they need to submit. But I really go really. You saw Vision, or was it years before Aegon had come and had had treated with you guys, and that's why you didn't send any forces with the Tyrells to the Field of Fire. So I would say that the High Towers betrayed the Gardeners earlier and purposely didn't send anybody there. Hmm. But that'd be my guess. But yeah, that's 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 essentially that's essentially all of uh, the first chapter. Well, so what we were, got, we got, we got through it. <laughs> what were the inconsistencies, and what did, what did you actually like about it? Just give me the inconsistencies first, and then tell me what you enjoyed. 
Uh, the inconsistencies were mainly about that first century on why, on what the Targaryens were doing there and, and why they didn't invade. Um, looking east, but not actually being east. Um, and I don't know if that's just an author error or if they're hiding something, like he's hiding something, like the Targaryens were very prophecy-focused and were waiting for the right time or what. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but that doesn't, historically, that doesn't make sense to me. I also, I also think that Aegon's diplomatic relations don't really make much sense. Especially like with Heron the Black. Hi- especially with Heron the Black, especially with him turning down all of these women. Like, why didn't he marry the woman from the Vale, Shara? Why didn't he marry um, Durandon's daughter? Like, why was he rejecting these women when he could have easily married them? Like, what was what was the going on? Um, I... Um, I'm leaning towards Aegon being into prophecy and wanting three heads of the dragon and wanting to be king and not wanting to marry more women and having more heads of the dragon. I'm seeing him wanting to take down Heron the Black because he sees Heron the Black as some sort of threat um, in the grand scheme of things. Like I, I think all of that's perhaps hidden, but it's remarkable how... like. It's almost what isn't written is what's kind of like screaming at me. Like, why didn't he write more about Heron the Black? Like, they were the most dominant force in Westeros. And he spends all this time talking about, like, the Stormlands. Do you think, do you think we'll actually get like a, um, because this is something I actually uh, said in my first impressions video. And I would love this, obviously. Um, do you think that maybe after Winds of Winter comes out and as we're waiting for Dream of Spring to come out in 2045, do you think that we're possibly <laughs> going to get, like, uh, big volumes of, like, other houses? Like, maybe a, an Ironborn book or a Tyrell book or maybe a, a Stark book. Do you think we're going to get, like, those focused? Because you're what you're focusing on here of House, um, how do you call it, Ho- Hoare? House Hoare? How, is, is, I call it horror. Is it horror? Is, I thought it was horror. I don't know. How, maybe it's horror. Um, I think it's pronounced it however you want. I, I always thought it's house horror. Whatever, house horror. Um, if he does like an Iron Book uh, volume like he did for Fire and Blood, I mean, maybe your questions will be answered there. The book also mentions how like he was prepared for a siege. It has an almost an, an, an inexhaustible water supply, a lot of provisions, uh, yeah. A lot of people in there. You know, you could definitely have an entire farm in there, too, I guess. Um, he was definitely prepared for a siege. To me, it sounds like more like he wanted to expand north, west, and south, and uh, east as well, obviously, and make the entire continent his kingdom with Harrenhal being the capital right at the center. Yeah. Yeah. But, man, it was a lot of resources. Like, why was he building this massive massive thing why on the god's eye it was uh it was strange it was very strange um i mean and it was just so massive like all the descriptions of heron hall um from a clash of kings and a storm of swords just described this enormous enormous like keep that was just just useless in its size like and I, and I say it's like so big that it's useless because it's like takes so much like energy to to um to keep it going um i mean it may be that he was like i don't know maybe hair in the black was expecting the long night to come and he was like ah i've got all of these resources i'm just gonna 
you know. Oh, that's actually it's gonna be like a it's gonna be like a, a bunker. One. Yeah, that's yeah. actually uh, I can actually yeah that actually makes a lot of sense too. Maybe he went to the God's Eye or or somewhere. He saw, perhaps maybe he met with the children of the forest, maybe, and they told him of uh, the second coming of the Long Night because this, t- this obviously this takes place after the Long Night, right? Like right, like almost what five thousand years after. Um, 7,700 uh, years after, something like that. Something like that. And, uh, maybe he built Hall in preparation for that. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, they talk about all these underground caverns and stuff like that. Yeah, so. I noticed that too. Mm-hmm. So it, it may be that Heron the Black was, was just preparing for the Long Night. And he was going to do something to trigger the Long Night. Um, and, you know, going forward to... Um. To uh, uh, Euron. Euron also talks about, like, you know, um, everything falling apart and and him him being you know the uh, it's gonna be a feast for crows. Like he he's he's preparing for the end of the world as well. Um. But uh, huh. So maybe maybe Her- maybe you know it's it's poetry again. The same thing's happening again. <laughs> Let me ask you this, because this is something I've, I've seen a lot of people say. Is this a disappointing chapter? I mean, I, the one thing I did enjoy about this chapter was all the, uh, the, uh, I, I did like Aegon's battle plans, you know, sending this, this character here, this person here, this person here, taking this, this, and this, and the way it did. Uh, it was lacking in some detail, um, for certain, for certain places, but at the same time, how much detail can you really give from a maester's perspective. That's why mm. I, I kind of wanted this book to be from George's, like, you know, a definitive history book. Not just Maester Gildane saying, well, it was believed, and there was an accounts of this and this. Um, but it was this th- was this a disappointing chapter for you? Because most I mean, of it does seem copy and paste. I remember it, well, I remember reading it the first time and, and liking it because it changed my perspective on Aegon. Like, you kind of just have this idea from the original series that Aegon didn't do anything diplomatically. He just came in with his dragons and killed everybody and everyone. Right. Yeah. And this was the first time you were like, Oh, Aegon was actually a savvy politician. Um, and he was, he was doing some, doing some scheming and some alliance building. And so I remember the first time reading this and being, and being very impressed with that being like, Oh, this is more realistic. Like, he didn't just come in with his dragons and with big force. He was, you know, it took more than dragons. It took a little bit of, you know, diplomacy to take Westeros, you know. So I remember the first time reading it um, thinking that. I mean, obviously for this book, it's just a copy and paste from The World of Ice and Fire because it's, you know, the same thing again. But, um, I, you know, I, I guess I liked this chapter in that, in that it was it it made me rethink everything and was a bit more realistic than just some people arriving on dragons spontaneously mm-hmm. but there's a lot of questions that it brings up like what was this relationship with Ori Baratheon like why why was Ori Baratheon connected to the Targaryen family why was Aegon so set on having Ori Baratheon rule because they're buddies like they're best I mean, friends, like, and uh, I guess when, like, when you're the king, you know it's uh, heavy lies the crown. It's also a very lonely position. I mean, you, you can't hang around your sister wives all the time. You got to have like that one guy who is essentially um, the Ned to your Robert. And I and I feel like Oris Baratheon was 
the Ned to uh, uh, Aegon's Robert, and uh, and right. or is this the John the John Con to 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 Rhaegar to Rhaegar? Because mm-hmm. they do they do kind of say that like well later on in the next chapter they say that like that Aegon's personality is not what we think we, not what we thought it was you know. By the way, um, what did you want to make fun about in regards to this book? Like what what is there here to make fun about? Oh, I mean. <sighs> Like I say, all of the poetry stuff where it's just like, oh, you have Ronald, who is clearly just Sweet Robin again. And it's like, oh, come on. Like, you couldn't, you could, like, yes, I understand, like, like you're trying to do that, that parallel, but, or is it just lazy? Like, oh, I couldn't think of anything yeah. else, so I'm just going to throw in the exact same thing again. You my know? question, my question to you is this, is that if this is a, if, if, if bits and pieces of this book are copy paste from uh, The World of Ice and Fire... So is this George's book or is this Elio and Linda's uh, stuff seeping in? No, no, this is all, this is straight up George. Mm-hmm. And even in the world of Ice and Fire, this was, um, this was uh, his completely. Uh, and that was, that was stated up front. Um, like which, which sections were 100% George and which ones were, were Elio and Linda. Um why was I calling him Arlac? It's Argala- Argalac, the arrogant. Was... I know. I said Argalac, but then you said Arlac, and I'm like, eh, fuck it. I'll, I'll, Sar- I'll let him. Sarlac? I don't know what, what it's doing here. <laughs> Argalac. Um, so, yeah, no. Um, Maester, Maester Yandel, which, which by the way, uh, Yandel is E and L. I don't know if, like, somebody pointed out to that to me recently. I was like, oh, like, Elio and Linda E and L. Oh wow, wow, yeah. so lame. Oh my god. I know E and L. Yeah. So the um, yeah. So I uh, the world of ice and fire was ten thousand ships and Aegon's Landing were straight up, um, uh, George, and then the, um, the Targaryen section was was a was these notes. For, for what for fire and blood trimmed down and then anything that was in a little blurb in in the world of ice and fire that was all George and then um and then the stuff on the different seven kingdoms was 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 um Elio and Linda but there's not much new information they were they were very they were very good at just taking stuff that appeared in the book and transplanting it and then the the kind of the new cities was a little bit more of of Elio and Linda, though they'll claim that it was mostly George. Um, uh, Elio, Elio likes to claim that like almost nothing, very little of his his original thought like went into stuff. It was almost all George. I think he's being a little more humble. I think that I think a little more than I think that uh, Elio had a little bit more influence than he uh, than he claims. But he claims that it's, it was all George. It was all George. George wrote it. I hardly did anything. But I think he's being humble. I think that. Uh, he wrote a little bit more. How far along are you, by the way? Uh, time-wise? No, no. How far along are you, like, <laughs> no, in the book? <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I've read through it once, like, briefly, but, like, the, because most of the sections were... Wait, wait a minute. You read all pages. 700 pages? No, just the new the new pages. Oh, Cause, okay. Because Sons, Sons of the Dragon, Rogue Prince, and, and Princes and the Queen, and Aegon's Land, and Aegon's Conquest were all previous released information. So, how, how much of this book is just rehashed shit? 
because that that would if I pay well in my video I said how like you know on Amazon right now or when I recorded it it was thirty five bucks but it's like twenty five dollars twenty dollars right mm. now and I think twenty dollars is a fair price for this but as a Thrones fan or a Song of Ice and Fire fan I would be kind of annoyed like wanting new content picking this up and a good chunk of it is just rehashed stuff so how much of it is rehashed do you think? Um. Well, I mean, we could we could do the the calculation right now. It's um, hold on a second. It's uh, I mean, it, rough estimate. I would say it's. I would say it's fifty percent. No, rehashed. no. Are you serious? So Aegon's well, Aegon's conquest is rehashed. Um, Sons of the Dragon, is rehashed. That's another fifty pages. Um, so that's like. 30 pages plus 50 pages that's 80 pages right there um and then rogue prince which is rogue prince is what uh question of succession that starts on 341 and then goes to goes to uh, the Dance of the Dragons, which the Dance of the Dragons kind of goes all the way to 550. So yeah, it's it's definitely like about half, about half. I'd say half of the entire book is already stuff that we already, well, I mean, to be fair, I do appreciate it being all compiled into one book. And of course, obviously, we already know a lot of like this own history, even from um, even from uh, the DVD uh, Blu-ray uh, uh, lore lore stuff um, is mm. obviously going to be in, be in here. But I didn't think that much. I, I would have thought at least maybe twenty five percent, well, at least one fourth of the book would be rehashed. But I mean, I, I guess you could redeem it if there's way more information in here. But at the same time, what was the point in buying the other bits and pieces of uh, of content? If you're you're just gonna add more stuff, mm. I don't know, man. That that's really something like the fans would have to debate because if you go on Amazon right now or any other like major uh, bookstore website and you look at the reviews, it's either a five star from the fanboys or a one star from people who are pissed that this isn't Winds of Winter. So, <laughs> no joke. I actually tweeted out like some woman going, what was the tweet? Uh, some woman was. Uh, let me get to it real quick. Some woman was pissed off, and she says, um, <laughs> Not Winds of Winter. One star out of five. Not spending any money on anything from this author until Winds of Winter comes out. 62 people found this helpful. <laughs> so, and and the people giving it five stars are also fucking ridiculous, because, once again, this is 700 pages, and there's no way you're freaking done with it. But at the same time, since half right. of it is rehashed, they probably already are done with it so yeah maybe i mean like you said i didn't read i didn't read the new material closely i just kind of like went through it quickly mm -hmm. but um you know what you and i when we go through this are going to be looking at it more details you know i mean you and, mean you when you go through this you're gonna well, be you, i i was so happy that you read this before before we did this podcast <laughs> i was like <laughs> yes he actually read it. Well, first off, what, what were you saying before we started recording? That this was a slog at the Gith Room. Oh yeah, it's 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 pretty 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 much a slog. So what I did was I, I have I I put it on my tablet and I just you know I like to lay down I like to read. Um, 
God, I almost fell asleep, dude. You you gave me like homework to reread uh, pages eight through thirty-one, so we could talk about it here. I almost fell asleep, and I'm someone who falls asleep very easily. Um, but fuck, dude. I. Well, next time, next time, well, it'll be new material. The um. What What are we doing next, by the way? If we're doing anything at all, what's next? It's Reign of the Dragon. What's What's going on in that? Give me a, a short summary of that. Well, I mean, this is just on the reign of Aegon, like at you know him as being the Godfather, and and how he ruled the Seven Kingdoms during his reign. This is new material, mm. um, and so it uh, you know was not in the World of Ice and Fire. So um, you know it, it it should be somewhat somewhat interesting. I don't know. I think a lot of it's going to be about the 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 attempted conquest of Dorne, and so I'm going to find it a little little. Rather interesting. So George says there are hidden clues here. Uh, some of them might be red herrings. He literally said that. Some, or some of them might be clue as to what happens in the next few books. Have you have you in, encountered anything like that so far? Um, I mean, a li- just a little bit with when he started talking about Storm's End and how Storm's End is going to be taken. But um, like convincing people to go out into the field and convincing people to fight in the field rather than inside Storm's End and then having the horses get spooked. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's about it. Um, in this first section, I'm sure there's going to be more stuff in the future. Or like I say, like the Dornish not being willing to submit to the dragon. Um, I think that is something that's a clue on, on what's to come. You actually, it's funny too. It's funny that you say this because I think during the uh, season seven podcast, you actually uh, mentioned how, uh, when she rode into uh, when she went into battle with uh, with Drogon and the Dothraki, she wasn't really wearing any armor. So like like yeah. a, like a crossbow could have like hit her in the shoulder. And it's uh, I I feel like that's probably might happen in the books. They they of course not in the show, but I feel like that might happen in the books when she goes off into battle with Drogon. Get a little spooked, yeah. Get a, get a little get a little shot in the shoulder because I. I, someone sent me a clip of uh, of Jon Snow, Battle of Bastards, and there's one part that I always like roll my eyes on, and that's when Ramsay's reigning arrow is down on Jon Snow on the field, and Jon looks up and he's like, oh, and he like covers his head, and all the arrows fucking fall on him, but they all miss, and it's almost cartoon. single one. There's almost cartoony, like they almost outline his fucking body. So... I mean, I'm expecting. I'm expecting when we get to that part in the book, if we do it all, there's gonna be uh, people losing uh, fingers or hands, or even ears. Hopefully, hopefully. I mean, that'd be you know, Daenerys takes a loses an eye, something. <laughs> I still remember the one thing you said about episode one of season seven, which, <laughs> which, she walks in there. She they open the gates to Dragonstone. She walks in there and she's just looking around. Very easily, Cersei could have had an assassin with a crossbow, just like just waiting. For <laughs> Jump out, <laughs> get him! <laughs> That'd be great. He's like hiding under the table. She's like, "Should we begin?" And then he goes, "Ah, stabs her." <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. Oh, you're an asshole. It was just, I mean, that was so dumb of her. She walked straight in. No no guards, like, handled it first? Come on. That was dangerous. The entire time I'm thinking, like, 
Like, there's no way in the books, because we're obviously going to see a, like, a nice little parallel from Aegon's Conquest with Danny when she does come over to Westeros in the books. Like, there's no way she's going to be riding all these dragons and not get hit by something. Like, there's just no way that's that's possible. Right. I mean, nothing's going to be... Things aren't clean, you know? Mm-hmm. With with uh, with George R. R. Martin, like people people lose stuff. There's costs, you know. Yeah, feet are lost, penises are lost, <laughs> eyes are lost, hands are lost, things are lost. Do you think there are too many references and too many callbacks? Um, yes, I do. I I think there's too many. A little bit but, lazy. Yeah, I just I mean, he's trying to make a connection. He's trying to make us think of the of the, of the other story but i don't know like you could do that or you could have new characters with new relationships and have that have that be a, you know a new interesting story and have it have it like my problem with all prequels is that they try so heavily to be connected to the original stories mm. until it's until it's just callbacks for callbacks sake you know it's it, did you see the new Fantastic Beasts movie? I have not, no. It's just all... There's no plot of its own. It's just all callbacks to Harry Potter for callbacks' sake. Give me an example. Same, it, um, so... Well, it's hard without spoiling things. Oh, I know. Like, for some reason, there's... This sorcerer is... is uh, they all go to the safe house in Paris. And the person running the safe house is the sorcerer from the Sorcerer's Stone. And he's just there for no reason. And he's like the person that runs the safe house. And it's like, well, why? Well, he just is. Or there's a character who, who adds nothing to the story and she can transform into a snake. The snake that's Voldemort's snake. Mm-hmm. And you learn that like, oh, eventually she'll become the snake forever. She's slowly losing her human form. Okay. But she has no point in the entire story. Like, she's not part of the plot at all. She's literally some guy's girlfriend, and she just kind of stands around, and that's it. Like, she's a girlfriend who stands around. Like, she did not need to be there. They were just throwing in a callback and, like, and a reference, you know, for no reason. You know, this so reminds later me of... Reminds yeah. me of Rogue One, where where they're where they're walking through the streets, and and like that fucking guy from Episode Four that picks a fight with Obi Wan in the bar, he yeah. bumps into you. Best watch yourself. <laughs> watch it. yourself. Like why? Why? Like, what's the point of that? Like, like narratively, why? Like, if you're thinking about Rogue One as its own movie, like narratively, why did they need to bump into some people and have that guy say, "Hey, watch yourself." <laughs> There's no function narratively. The only function is so that you can go, oh, that's a callback to A New Hope. Like, that's my problem with with Fantastic Beasts, which uh, the second Fantastic Beasts movie is just not great. It was just not great. By the way, who was and the sorcerer from the Sorcerer's Stone? I don't remember that guy. Who? who? The philosopher. He was some old man, some super old man who's immortal or something. I've never seen it, but this is what my wife tells me. <laughs> Oh, that must have been in the books. I don't remember that motherfucker from the movies. It's just, it's, it's not, it's no longer a story. It's just a bunch of parallels and like background to stuff that you didn't need to know about. Like, you know, did you need to know Boba Fett's backstory? Did we need to know that like he was a clone of stormtroopers and that his dad fought Obi-Wan? Like, how does that add and enhance anything that goes on in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi? 
like it, it doesn't even have to do with his relationship with Han or Java or any other thing that's like relevant. Like it's just some like a weird random thing. Like you know, or I I was watching Movie Bob and he's just like I'm sure in the next movie they're gonna tell us like how a random guy became the hat in 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 Harry Potter that gets to choose your house. Like who fucking cares? Like <laughs> the hat. Like what's his backstory? Well, I guess we're gonna cram it in to find out how that hat. Like who became the hat? You know, like I think I would be more comfortable with this book if like it was released if I knew Fire and Blood Volume Two was gonna be released next year. But at the same time, I think the fucking fandom would riot because you know Winds of Winter. But that that does kind of bug me because of what you said. The stuff people really want to know about is gonna be in Volume Two. But the fact that there even is a fucking Volume Two is also kind of atrocious. I mean, this yes, this really yes. should have been a, a giant thousand page tome that details. From Aegon's co- or the Doom of Valyria to uh, the Fall of the Mad King, this really should have been it. And I feel like it is a kind of a cash grab, even more so when he fucking. Um, and I feel like he said this to in order to appeal to show only fans when he said, "This is the book Danny should read when she invades or has invaded." I'm like, dude, really? What the fuck? Yeah, I mean, I I don't even know if he's in control of his own Twitter account, so who knows? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe somebody else did that. They're like, oh, we've got to use your Twitter to, like, promote this book. Okay, fine. Like, <laughs> He's not gonna, in control of it. <laughs> I don't know. The guy still freaking uses WordStar. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? WordStar? The fuck is that? Oh, God. What? You don't... So, the WordStar was the word processor in the mid... 80s? Yes, you're right. Mid 80s. Bef- before, before Word Perfect took over. The fuck is Word Perfect? What is this? I'm kidding. Go ahead. Oh my god. <laughs> Word. Yeah, Word Perfect 5.1 was like the word processor before Word took over, right? So, it, you know, like Word Star was like the thing. Was the shit before Word Perfect was the shit before Word was the shit, and so he's still on fucking Word Star, and so he has a freaking DOS emulator on a computer. So that he can use WordStar because he likes WordStar. Which, fine, okay. Like, like, on the one hand, I understand that, like, there's, like, Word is fine. I don't know, understand why they keep needing to, to change it every year. Like, how much more can you try to improve a word processor? Mm-hmm. But, like, but still, like, at some point, it's also such a pain in the ass that you have to take your freaking WordStar file tr- and then transfer it over to becoming a Word file before transferring it to your to your uh, publisher. Like, okay. But yeah, he runs an emulator, a DOS emulator, just so he can run WordStar so that he can word process in WordStar. <laughs> and I thought it was a myth. I was just like, that sounds like the biggest pain in the ass. Like, I like, you know, I really... I really enjoyed WordPerfect 5.1. I thought it was a great word processor. I didn't think there was a need to change, but at the same time, there comes to a point where it's just like, it's so difficult to, to that, uh, no, I just concede. Like, I'm going to use Word. It's fine. It's fine. It's not that bad. Like, sometimes I get annoyed that I do parentheses, C parentheses, and it automatically autocorrects to a to a copyright logo, and then I have to hit undo. Like that annoys me, but whatever, you know, <laughs> things like that. So, in summation, uh, chapter one, 
Aegon's Conquest. It was, eh. I mean, once again, copy paste. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it, the question is, is if like two years ago, did you did you like the effort? And I guess two years ago, I did. And maybe you know, we're we're, we're late talking about it, but it it came out again in this book. So you know, it's it's good to talk about it just in the in the order because we're going through the book itself. Yeah. In hindsight, it almost seems like World of Ice and Fire is kind of pointless. And, I, and I've and I've echoed I've echoed these sentiments before because I, I really wanted a World of Ice and Fire to be the definitive dictionary of the uh, Song of Ice and Fire world, where mm. every single house, even some of the minor ones like Mormont or or, or you know uh, uh, Tarly, had like distinct histories, and we could go through them for a page or two, you know. And it yeah. was essentially just a dictionary of shit we already knew, with some random things that you kinda don't care about. And some things that will not be covered because George will cover them in the future, like you said. Um, yeah. So, but okay, uh, chapter does, yeah. chapter two, chapter two, Reign of the Dragon, uh, which is pages thirty-two to forty-five, right? Yes. This is probably so far. I, I think this is probably one of the best uh, chapters in the book so far. So far, well, I, of the two, <laughs> but the uh, the well, this is this is new material. Um, How much though? It, How much of it is new material? Well, not. I mean, text-wise, like like all like. Well, there's a couple things in here actually. Um, tech there. This stuff actually contradicts some stuff from the World of Ice and Fire about how much destruction happened in Dorne. And um, Elio actually commented the, on this recently on 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 um, on Reddit, where he said that like yeah, there was a discussion of he did have a discussion about like whether Sunspear was going to get burned and things things like this and how much destruction there was going to be, and previously there was there was less and now he it's it's been switched um, to Dorne being absolutely devastated. Um, everywhere in Dorne devastated in, in, um, uh, during the, during the, the conquest wars. Um, and so that's, that's, that's kind of interesting that, so I want to say that, that based on, based on the, the, the parallels here and how these parallels seem to match what's going on in the winds of winter a little more than other stuff. And, you know, just. In the sense, we also know the history. Like he did Aegon's conquest for the World of Ice and Fire. Sons of the Dragon had come out. Um, Rogue Prince and, and Princess and the Queen had already come out. So we know that he had to fill in these other gaps later. And so th this is pretty clear that this is a, a later one that he's filled in. So essentially, um, uh, Fire and Blood. Uh, the the main purpose of it as well is not only to uh, explain to you the lives and history of uh, some of Aegon's descendants, or um, uh, Danny's descendants for that matter, but also to fill in gaps that people have been wanting for a while. Yeah, da Danny's ancestors, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and fill in some, fill in some gaps, um, you know, something. Um, and so I, this, this was information that I didn't know. Um, this is all new kind of stuff, and it does... One of the big mysteries is like, oh come on, like how can a guy with three dragons not conquer Dorne, this pathetic land, with like fifty thousand spears, you know, at best? Like how hard can it be? And this kind of, you know, this does its best to explain why Aegon really did, like why he didn't conquer Dorne, and 
you know, I think it does a pretty good job in, in really explaining it. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but the guerrilla yeah. warfare here from the Dornish, Jesus fucking Christ. Yes. No wonder people, like, hate the shit out of them. But um, yes. the one thing I, I actually uh, did really like is the aftermath of when Aegon conquers everything because whether lack of communication or information going around, you, you did have some, uh, like, little smaller, I wouldn't call them rebellions, but s- smaller insurrections going around Westeros. For example, the the sisters, for yeah, some we reason. Start, we like, start with the Sister Men Rebellion. Yeah, and, um, and, and the Greyjoy, not Greyjoy, but the Ironborn Civil War. Yeah, now the Sister Men, the Sister Men Rebellion, I guess, I'm trying to think that they, they seem to be hinting at um, or alluding to the Sansa story a bit, because this is, the Sansa story is when we hear about the sisters, um, as uh, because the three of the of the Sunderland sons have come come to the um the tournament that she's at but and then I guess we first hear about the sisters through through the Davos chapter um but this is interesting though that that you know the sistermen uh declare you know had a queen and then the queen is treated pretty brutally like you know her tongue is taken out and she's given to this to the uh silent sisters to the silent sisters mm-hmm. um why there's a 5 year gap between that is unexplained. There's a lot of mysteries here on what exactly happened to, to Marla, um, Queen Marla, and why her brothers, her her nephews, got off so easily and things like that. Everybody else got off easy. She she was you know exiled and, and had her tongue removed and things like that. So um, so it's interesting. I, it does. There are some hints of because if Sansa is going to be declared a queen as she's as her little fingers plan is um, the sister men are going to be her, her followers. And so mm-hmm. they're going to be trying to support her. So it's um, Sunderland specifically. So I don't know if, you know, maybe Sansa's is going to lose her tongue, <laughs> but that, that, that's an interesting, uh, an interesting little thing. Why, why they included this queen and why she had such a brutal end. Do you think this could be one of uh, George's red herrings? Maybe. I mean, there's a lot of brutality. The, the thing about like, like predicting stuff in Ice and Fire, you're kind of like, what's the worst, most brutal thing that could happen? And that's probably what George is going to do, you know. Like, <laughs> uh, but on the other side, you've got the the Iron Isles, the uh, the a Greyjoy. Oh, it's not a Greyjoy rebellion, but it's a it's a um, the Ironborn Civil War kinda, where you have uh, what are they called? Uh, the Drown Priests. They have one guy c- come in and com- uh, say he's like. Um, <laughs> a son of the drowned god and he yeah. has followers and then you have a bunch of people from the other islands coming in it's a whole civil war and it got so bad that uh Aegon had to come in and, and step in and, and you know uh take one of the guys out and uh put a stop to all this and yeah i, I mean obviously was, uh, what was his name lotos uh, lotos yeah uh, obviously with lotos the priest you're supposed to think of of aaron mm-hmm. um and and it's interesting because this um this volmark guy Mar- like um uh, he he is he's actually uh, Corin Volmark. He's actually mentioned in a feast for crows um, mm. when they're when they're talking about who might make a claim to the king's mood. They mention that a Marin Volmark um, is of the Black Line, and this describes essentially why he's of the Black Line and how he's related to Heron the Black. Um, but Marin Volmark actually doesn't have a claim, so or he doesn't make a claim, so he just you know, but. Euron ends up giving him one of the Shield Islands because he, I guess, thinks he's a competitor. But um, you know, so that's interesting that they they 
they kind of had a throwback there, some throwaway lines in A Feast for Crows. They they give the uh, the origin of it, but clearly Lodos is supposed to be Aaron, and it's interesting that he's he's claiming that he's going to call Krakens to yeah. drag down ships, <laughs> which is of course my big prediction for the battle at Old Town. The Battle of Blood is that um, Euron strapped Aaron to the front of his uh, his ship, and that and that he's going to bloody the waters, and that some. Uh, some he's going to chum the waters and that these these krakens are going to come up and take down the the old town ships is my big prediction well according to uh, uh what's what's george's uh maester character here uh gildane gildane yeah gildane according to mr Gil, uh maester gildane when lodos uh <laughs> after the krakens didn't come up he, he he goes i well i need to go to my father and ask what i should do next so he goes and a thousand of his own followers follow him into the sea and they yeah. all drown they all drown. And what is this? Does this like is this, this civil war or does this like incident make like a bunch of krakens come out of nowhere and like? No, I think he just. I mean, maybe he was hoping for that that mm. that he, they would sink down to the krakens, but yeah, they just ended up committing suicide. But of course, it's reminiscent of Aaron because Aaron consults the drowned god all the time, and so he's like, "Oh, I need to consult the drowned god," and he he goes down and and. Yeah, they just die. I actually <laughs> really like this on. part, uh, even though it was it was short. I I I like that. I like stuff like this. It, it, it's it's dumb, yeah. of course, but then again, you know, religion, whatever. But uh, <laughs> I really like that part. Well, there's there's one there's one other thing I wanted to mention here at the very end before we get into the Dornish is Aegon and how he's cleverly. I I just want to say I'm giving um, Aegon the Conqueror some props because when he finally comes in to take over he says he lets the ironborn choose their own leader which of course is the ironborn tradition and so aegon is getting to know the culture that he's trying to get that he's trying to take over yeah and so so they and they they elect a Greyjoy, and so that's that's another like props to aegon for knowing um who he's dealing with but that's all okay but on to the dornish <laughs> So the whole Dornish, um, I don't know what you would call this. The, it's it, it's really uh, reminiscent of um, of uh, you know the big empire going up against the uh, the, the small country and uh, them fighting back. The only way they know how is oh yeah, warfare. like the U.S. and v- U.S. and Vietnam, which yeah. is really like George R. Martin's like most favorite topic of all time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. God damn! Like they really fucked up Dorne. Like the whole the whole country was, uh, the whole land was like blighted and, and scorned and like, and and <laughs> I love how I love how Aegon and his sister came multiple time, burned almost every castle in the country like three times over. Yeah, still couldn't fuck him up. Think that declare. There's a funny thing where he declares victory and then leaves, <laughs> and you're like, like is is George R. R. Martin like talking about a rock is that the whole thing where like we declared victory and then we downsized and then they t- attack again and we have to bring the troops back uh-huh like there's <laughs> you know there's, there's there's i mean it's or he's just you know doing these i don't know i mean i think he's 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 making a reference to a rock there mm-hmm. no i could see that but the, the thing you said about um in one of your uh in one of your theories you say how like uh, there's like multiple underground like caverns and stuff in Westeros. I mean, yeah. really, yeah. I mean, how else could these fucking people all disappear and come out of nowhere 
to, to rise up again and just keep this conflict going for as long as possible. How many? Yeah. How long did it go on for? Like eight, nine years? Um. Well, he says that. Let's see. Rainis dies ten years after the conquest, so I think it's in in twelve. I think it goes on to twelve. So I want to say it's it's a long seven, eight, nine. <clears throat> um. It lasts a freaking long time. Uh, the first Dornish War from four to thirteen, so it's a nine-year, it's a nine-year conflict. Mm-hmm. And god damn, like they kept fighting all that time, and you're wondering like how long can this go on? But they keep going with it. I mean, you know, blood, like, like literally, yeah. All the all the houses have like their own words, but when you break it down, this war between the Targaryens and the Dornish literally put their words to the test, unbent, unbound, unbroken, and fire and blood, which, like, both sides uh, brought in. It, it's it's kind of kind of crazy how how these smaller countries really use this terrain to their advantage. It really is. Oh, yeah. They got, they got the home field advantage. They're willing to fight. They're also willing to use tactics that are outside the box, mm-hmm. in which other people other people say, "Oh, well, that's not honorable." Well, you know, we got to do what we got to do to win. You know, you've got you've got freaking dragons. You know, like you've got tanks or jet airplanes. Like, what are people going to do? Well, I got to go to improvised explosive devices or whatever. I mean, in Vietnam, they would do tra- you know traps in the woods. You know, put shit on on spikes, and then people would fall into a little thing on spikes and get shit in their wounds and stuff. All sorts of dirty little tricks. Um, and so, you know, you got to do what you got to do to win if the other person's got more uh, more power, you know. Exactly. And the whole thing about... So apparently they used the scorpion, the scorpion weapon that yeah. we saw in Season 7 against uh, Rainey's is a dragon. Right. Uh, what's, and we what's finally definitively find that it goes, yeah, death through the eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then apparently she... Uh, it, like, falls down and... and uh, I apparently we don't really know if like she fell off the dragon or the dragon fell on top of her or if they captured her and tortured the hell out of her. But I I believe the last part. I believe the latter. Like I believe that they did torture her and that they they did use her blood to write that ink, that that tree. Right. Well, that's the thing is there's well first off there's so many there's so many different callbacks in in in, in this. So um, you obviously have. Uh, Oris um, getting his hand cut off. And that's just like Jamie when mm-hmm. he was ransomed back. And his hand was cut off by the Brave Companions, which is, you know, of course, my big theory that um, the Dornish ah. have control over the Brave Companions. And here, the Dornish cut off Oris Baratheon's hand. Um, uh, then there's, yes, Duskendale is the big thing. Um, like the big, her, Rhaenys getting captured and being put in a dungeon is very much like Duskendale. And there's a lot of allusions to the fact that maybe um, King Aerys was raped when he was in that dungeon because when they when they finally pulled him out, they ended up they ended up um, pulling out the woman's uterus that, that put him in. The the the, the queen. Um, the um, there was like a mistress to the guy in Duskendale. And so the idea maybe she was trying to, you know, birth a, a child. So they made a they made a point of, of pulling out her uterus when when they finally got Ares out of Duskendale. Jesus. And there are, yeah, well there are some rumors that yeah that that Rhaenys ended up having a kid while while getting tortured here in this dungeon, and so and that somehow they they have a Dornish, uh, you know Targaryen 
dragon riding blood or something. And so the, uh, yeah, it's pretty brutal here. And I can't think of anything else that would have really stopped Aegon from, from attacking Dorne, you know, but other, there's a whole bunch of other things. Um, they ought, they bring the dragon skull, which of course is a mirror to the the mountain skull. Yeah, when they brought that to Dorne. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense, and I can see that being like a major theory. Like I, I I'm not I'm not a big theory guy, but that's that's a theory I could see I could get behind. Like they did capture her, uh, probably broke her legs so she couldn't you know run away obviously, and uh, kept her in the dungeons, raped her repeatedly, and. Uh, yeah. Kind of because otherwise, why wouldn't fucking uh, Aegon go back there? All all the members of his small council was essentially were essentially telling him like, go back, go back, like yeah. finish this. They're almost done. Go like, don't stop. Like throw everything you have. And he's like, no, nah, it's over. And so and I like how uh, Gildane is like, oh maybe maybe the letter contained all the names of lords he lost or all the you know lives that were lost. Like I don't really think he cares. Right, which is the, which is like, and then there's like maybe he was saying like we're gonna we're gonna hire a faceless man against you, and it's like no, yeah. Well, why didn't it's, they do that uh, in the first place? Exactly. <laughs> why why didn't they hire the faceless men in the first place? Like. And this is one of the reasons why I kind of hate the whole, like, faceless men being, like, unlimited ultimate badasses. Is just... Oh, yeah. Why don't they... Like, at the start of uh, the War of Five Kings, why doesn't Rob just hire a faceless man to kill Joffrey? Like... Right. Or why doesn't or why Joffrey... Doesn't, why doesn't Joffrey hire a faceless man to kill Rob? You I, know, it, I, so... It's so... It's so... And it's like, it's like well, because you there needs to be a price. Okay. Like rather than rather than executing a person, order that person to hire a faceless man, and then he has to pay the debt. You know, it's it's like the faceless man thing is, is yes, it's it's ridiculous. It's, <laughs> the whole thing is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Why doesn't Stannis just like Stannis is like had his head in like the mud throughout the entirety of the fucking series? So why doesn't Stannis just hire the faceless man to kill Roose Bolton or right. Ramsay or like, or or? or, or you know, rather than than a, than a shadow baby or whatever, why, you know, why not a faceless man? It's yeah. There's uh, so well. Um, they also explained like getting getting back to a feast for crows because there's a lot of different references here to the Dornish story. Um, you really find out why Ares Oakheart's father hates the frickin' Dornish with a passion. Mm. Um, because the 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 Oakheart wedding is where they, they took Alice Oakhart and they raped her in front of everyone and then they sold her into, into, into a, they sold her to become a sex slave, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, brutal. Like, the, you know, the Oakharts, you could understand why, like, the Oakharts would hate the Dornish forever after that, which is like Ares Oakhart's big thing is like, I'm betraying my father by being here, by being here in Dorne, you know? And, it, you know, it's funny because actually in the original series, I don't think enough was established on why the world hates Dorne so much. You know, like Oberyn's got this big chip on his shoulder, like, oh, you all hate us. You think we're trash. And you're and, and you know, we're kind of like, ah, yeah, it's it's kind of unjustified how mean everyone is to the Dornish. But then once you start getting this history, you're like, oh, God. No, now now I understand why everyone hates the Dornish. Well, know? a lot of people talk shit about the Dornish, and, and it's and it's for us for a casual show watcher, it is kind of confusing because in one of Oberyn Martell's first scenes back in season four, you had those two Lannister uh, uh, soldiers, and they were making fun of him by saying, "Bring him a, a, a shaved goat and a bottle of olive oil." Like, what? Yeah. What? What? Do you, what? So, it, it almost sounds like 
the Dornish are, I guess casual fans are supposed to like see the Dornish as separate from the kingdom, though a part of like you know Westeros as a whole. They're separate from everything else going on. Kind of like um, kind of like how we see um, I guess you would kind of like Taiwan and and China. You know, like yeah. technically Taiwan's not a part of it, but it kind of you know. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, no, but yeah. That's the biggest mystery, and that, that's the one I can see a lot of people making videos on, is what was in the letter to Aegon Targaryen I um, about the first Dornish Treaty. Yeah, and this is this is definitely the most interesting thing and the most interesting story we've seen so far. I know a lot of people have read this and they were they were they were a bit sickened by it, and they're like, "Why is maybe George R. R. Martin's just getting into shock um, stuff?" But I think this is important. Um, and I think it's really important because it tells us about Oberyn and Doran. And so a lot of people, when they when they criticize the Dornish master plan, they'll say, "Oh, I don't, I don't think Doran would be so cruel. You know, would he really like, um, you know, risk his own son, or would he really do stuff that would lead lead to civilian death?" Because yes. He sits there. He sits there in the water gardens and he stares at children and he's like, "The children, they're the ones that hurt," you know, and. And I'm like, well, everything that we've learned about the Dornish, especially like someone like Oberyn who worshipped this history, he he thinks these people are great. Um, you know, this all tells us that they have their vengeance, they have their blood feuds, and they remember that the Sand Snakes and Oberyn are perhaps the norm, and Quentin and Ariana are actually like the exceptions. You know, like mm. <laughs> that. Uh, that Doran maybe, you know, Doran might be more like his brother and the Sand Snakes than he is like Ariana and Quentin. Who who are Ariana and Quentin are, are you know, fine, <laughs> you know, like they're fine people. Um completely reasonable, but uh uh but man, this uh when you when you look at the yellow toad who is clearly supposed to be compared to Doran, you know, in in her physical form and everything, like we're supposed to think of Doran as this cruel, a cruel man, you know. So, yeah, would he would he hire the the brave companions? Would he uh, do all of these horrible things like chop off um, Jamie's hand and um, things like that? I think so, you know. More parallels, but but here's the thing though: the difference between this parallel from chapter two versus chapter one is I actually like these. These are fine. These make more sense. You know, it would make more sense to take someone, uh, noble lords who are you know highly renowned, and you could get a large ransom for, and cut off their sword hand for good measure, but send them back nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, so the difference between this story and and what we saw before um, is that this story is a good story by itself. Like, it's a story. Like, it, you have an escalating conflict of vengeance, and then we get to the end, and it's a mystery, but we know what the... We kind of know what the answer is. What was in that letter was something that was so savage that it was beyond everything that we read before. Right? Like, all the stuff we've been reading about people getting raped and people getting limbs chopped off and all of this death, people getting burned alive, cities, people starving, dying of thirst in the desert. All of that was horrible. What, what, whatever was in that letter was worse. I think and, it was probably a, 
I think they did keep her alive, uh, Rainey's, and they, and she wrote yeah. the letter. Yeah. It's got to be... Well, that's the thing, is it's got to be... And that little bit of mystery and that ending is very fitting to everything. I mean, this is a good story by itself, and I, I think this is where this chapter kind of wins, is that it's not just, you know, Barry and, Barry and Lannister, you know, attended the Blue Wedding or whatever. Like, you know... It's it's something in itself, you know. It's its own story. Hopefully there'll be more. Hopefully there'll be more, you know, good stories uh, as we continue on. But you know, uh, Preston, do you want to end it here for right now? Sure, sure. All right, guys. Yeah, thank you uh, so much for uh, joining us on this episode of the Game of Thrones podcast. We are back with full episodes. We might do a mini here and there. Uh, if you actually enjoyed us going through each chapter, let us know in the description down below. Will uh, you, Preston? Would you want to continue doing it? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, this is pretty fun, actually. Yeah, I don't mind doing it. We, we should probably get a... <laughs> you're, like, you're like, it was fine. It wasn't any fun. <laughs> Fuck you, Preston. No. I hate talking to you. No, stop it. You know I love you. But uh, no, nah, we'll probably get a couple more uh, couple more ep- other episodes out before other channels start copying this. But uh, no, yeah, I, I uh, kind of did enjoy it. And uh, we might even uh, you know do a special one for our patrons, Patreon-only, you know, to show them some love and support as well. But uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Once again, leave your thoughts down below, and we'll see you all next time. Have a good one. Later.